Hi everyone, uh, thank you for coming. My name is Michael uh, Garcia. I'm working as a senior technical program manager in the AWS IoT team, and today we'll talk about IoT. In particular, we're going to talk uh, about IoT at uh, JPL, and for that we have the, uh, the chance uh, to welcome uh, on stage later on uh, Mick and Tom uh, from uh, NASA JPL. Uh, so we start the uh, session by talking about some of the architectural patterns that we see and that we um, uh, see continuously with our customers. Uh, so those ones are very famous, and this will be actually an introduction to what uh, Tom and Mick are going to talk about and show you. So there will be a few videos, there will be demo as well. Uh, as you can see, we have uh, a Ruby on the stage, so you can imagine there will be a demo with that. Uh, and I will be doing a demo myself in the, uh, in the first section as well. And at the end, if we have time, uh, we'll answer any question that you might have. But just to start, I have a question for you. It's a very easy one. Uh, raise your hand if you have a smartphone. It's 2016, so normally, yeah, should see a lot of a lot of hands. So you can take it out of your pockets because the demo we are about to do will be using your uh, smartphones, right? So the the first pattern I wanted to um, talk to you about to make sure that everyone is on the same page and that you can you know really understand what uh, Tom and Mick are going to present you. Uh, is uh, talking about uh, green grass. So you might have seen uh, this morning Andy Jesse introducing green grass. You know that we have the managed service called AWS IoT that is a managed service, so in the cloud. And green grass is actually computing at the edge. So what does it mean? It means that uh, AWS Greengrass is a piece of software, it's a runtime, that you can deploy onto your own hardware. So currently it supports um, Amazon Linux and Ubuntu, and you can run it to process data directly onto your device locally. So one advantage of doing that is that it's really, really fast because you don't need to have a round trip uh, to the cloud to be able to process the data and act on it. The other thing is that you can filter the data. Maybe you don't need to send all the data to the cloud. It can cost money. For example, if you're using a 3G or 4G connection, you might want to be, you know, to not send everything. If you have a, a temperature sensor, maybe your sensor locally can determine the temperature uh, each second. But will, will you make use of that? Maybe not. Maybe you only need to have on the cloud one data point every 10 seconds. So that's money that you will uh, save here by not sending that information. Maybe we will have also to comply with certain regulation and you have to anonymize the data before sending it to the cloud. So there's a lot of benefits of being able to process the data uh, locally. And one of the benefits of Greengrass is also to be able to operate without an internet connection. So most of the IoT, uh, most of the uh, connected objects that will be deployed can be in environments that do not have you know, a very reliable network. So sometimes you might lose the connection and with Greengrass, you're able to communicate locally and your object will still continue to function. So that's a, a very good point. And the other one is that you can store the state of your device locally. Uh, the system will still continue to function. And when the connection is back, then everything will be uh, synced again with, the, uh, with AWS IoT. 
Um, for developers, I imagine there's a lot of developers in the room, uh, everything that would be executed locally is actually using Lambda. So for you, it's the same model that you already know. You can develop on the cloud and then push the configuration back to the device. So that's very useful as developer. So that was the first uh, pattern. The other one is objects that are sending telemetry data, but not only. So for example, there are objects that are recording audio or video. So think about um, surveillance cameras uh, that might be streaming the data. Uh, think about drones that might be streaming video data. And also, uh, we sometimes have objects uh, that have to deal with huge assets. So this uh, morning during the State of the Union, uh, we had the uh, chance to have uh, Philips on stage with us. Think of an MRI machine. Those generate uh, images that are very, very, very large. It can be multiple terabytes of data. So even if you don't send that in one block, it's still a lot of data to move. And to be able to perform that, what we've seen is that um, the most useful thing to do is to keep the MQTT protocol for uh, dealing with the control channel. So for example, if you have to remotely control your object to start the recording, you will do that over MQTT. This will enable you to have very good response time, right? MQTT is much more lightweight than HTTP, so it's good to keep it as a control channel. And then for the data, you can use whatever is relevant to your use case. So if it's just a small audio file, I can push it to S3 directly, for example. If it's streaming video, I can use a media uh, streaming server on EC2. So here, you can imagine whatever you want. Don't, um, it's not only S3 and uh, EC2, of course, but the point is that you will use whatever is relevant to you. You can have another protocol you know, living alongside the uh, MQTT. And the, the third pattern is uh, one that is very popular. It's about controlling your object with the voice. So you've probably seen this morning a number of announcements uh, about uh, Lex, for example. Uh, and all those services. So here the idea is to control a connected object with your voice, so it's more natural interface for human. And to dive a little bit deeper into this one in particular, I'm going to show you a demo that is called uh, the Amazon Light Show. Uh, so on your smartphone, I will give you a URL. You will go there, and you will be uh, downloading a page uh, that is from uh, S3, so it's just an HTML page. On that page is the JavaScript SDK, so you will be able to authenticate using Cognito and to establish an um, MQTT uh, connection over WebSockets uh, to AWS IoT. So there will be a, a bidirectional um, uh, communication channel between your smartphone, the web page, and AWS IoT. On my side, I have the same setup, just that it's the admin interface, so you will see uh, uh, dashboards. And what you will see is visualization that comes from Elasticsearch. So as soon as you will load the page on your smartphone, there will be data pushed to AWS IoT. It's just uh, geolocation data and the OS of your phone. Um, transparent, you can verify the source code. It's uh, on S3, it's public, so you can download it. Uh, so we'll be using Elasticsearch to visualize on the admin interface what is going on. And I will be able to control what's appearing on your web page thanks to a skill that I've built. 
there might be some uh, latency because uh, the lambda function linked to the scale is in US East and the rest of the infrastructure is in Europe because I used this demo in Europe. So there might be a little bit of latency and we are all using you know, Wi-Fi, cellular data, whatever. So just a bit of warning there. Uh, if you want to do this yourself, so first the code is public, so you can just take a look at it. Uh, and there is a blog article that explains how to do this, how to build a skill uh, to control AWS IoT. So you can all take out your smartphone, go to that URL. Uh, while you do that, uh, a few words. Uh, you can push the luminosity on your smartphone. If you're connected, uh, connected through Wi-Fi already, stay on Wi-Fi. If it's cellular data, it's fine as well. Uh, you might want to push a little bit the sound of your smartphone. Not too loud, but we need to hear sound coming out of your smartphone. And when you load the page, if he asks you for your uh, position, uh, just go ahead and share it. It's just a position. All right, so now we'll show you what I will, yeah, I will put it back. I'm just showing you the admin interface because this gets updated in real time. So now there's 21 of you connected, 28. I just switch back to the PowerPoint so we can get a few more people on there. And so the uh, dashboard is using Elasticsearch. It's refreshing the data every uh, five seconds and it's showing only the last uh, three minutes of, uh, of data. All right, so I hope. Everyone is connected now. Okay. Let's go back to the admin interface. So, all right, so I have 67 of you. And I will be actually um, showing yourself on the screen. I can share here my smartphone and I can record you guys in the audience and you will see why that is important. So on the dashboard, you can see that we have a lot of iOS devices and a few that are um, uh, and Android as well, but more iOS than Android. And with IoT, the cool thing is that I can just use, you know, your uh, devices that are in the room. So I can just ask Alexa to show me that. Ask Lightshow to show device information. So the simulator takes a little bit longer than the real Amazon Echo. All right, we just try to refresh the page again. Ask Lightshow to show device information. Everyone, please show your smartphone screens to the presenter. So now on the web page, all right, so I see uh, a lot of blue, a little bit of green. And so now I hope with the sound we will hear, we'll use the sound from your smartphone. Again, there might be some delay, so be prepared for that. Right. Ask Lightshow to start the concert. All right, sorry about that. I think the Wi-Fi is a little slow. Let me do it again. Ask Lightshow to start the concert. All 
hands in the air and move your smartphones. <laughs> All right. All right, so thank you. That was the end of the uh, demo. <laughs> I hope you liked it. There's been a little bit of delay, but that was all right. And now we're going to switch back to the presentation, and I'm going to uh, invite on stage uh, uh, Tom and Mick uh, from NASA to be on. So uh, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to ask you to put the uh, into airplane mode. <laughs> because what we're going to do is we're going to show a consumer device that's meant for museums, kids' classes, and things like that. And it's 100% completely dependent on Wi-Fi. So that was a very cool demo. <laughs> that's very fun. Um, do we have a clicker? Yes, Don't. Do I have a <laughs> Am I wearing my glasses? Uh, so what I wanted to talk about, look at this slide for a second. We're going to spend most of the, we spend most of our time in space, but we are an enterprise. Uh, we are about 5,000 people. And making the people who work at JPL and at NASA more effective is something that uh, seemed paradoxical and seemed to have nothing to do with IoT. Turns out it has everything to do with IoT. <coughs> IoT is much more than the devices and the toys that you'll see. Uh, and as we started programming with it and using Lambda and serverless computing, uh, there's some tremendous meat in, in these toys. So we spend time in space. So NASA and JPL are looking for the big questions, looking for answers to the big questions. And what we're able to do now is change how we work. And IoT is going to help us do that. So we're looking for these types of questions. Hopefully this is something you all care about, uh, especially diverting an asteroid. That'd be kind of important. Uh, and then, is there life on Mars? Those are the types of things we're asking. And is there life on Mars? Uh, we've been driving a rover on Mars for quite some time, and we're going to send new rovers out to Mars. Uh, it looks kind of like this one, uh, but a little more capable. But as we, uh, up here, yeah, we apologize for you in the back. When Mick starts driving the rover, you may all want to stand up and pretend you were at a concert. Uh, so what we're looking for is, as we started thinking about where should we spend our time, I'm kind of our internal futurist, looking where is it worth spending time. So what we do is we look at human behavior. What do you all care about? What do you care about in the next three years? And if you care about it, you will develop it, and we will like it. So the idea is to prototype it very quickly. So this is hopefully you see yourselves in here. Uh, we did quite a bit of study and research as to in the next two to three years, who is, uh, who's interested, how are they going to work, what are they going to work on, and what are the challenges. And all of that led to many, many different things. But in particular, it came up with a strategy. So as we look at the innovation in consumer space, it's very fast. It's all kinds of devices and things. When we look at it uh, in the enterprise, it's glacial. It is slow as molasses. How many people work for a company with more than 1,000 people? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, or if you don't, <laughs> I'm going to know where you were. Uh, so the strategy here was to, very simplistic and simple, uh, to talk about, not to implement, 
is to engage and enable everyone and everything. And in particular, IoT has a lot to do with enabling and everything, enabling everyone with everything. We're going to show some examples of that. Uh, but where's the hype? Is there any hype in IoT? <laughs> yeah, lots. Uh, but what's the real benefit? What's the driver? Do we have to invent a lot of new technology? Now, we're lucky that AWS is inventing a lot of new things. But actually, it's the combination of those things. So we can try many things, and we can try it very inexpensively and quickly and see if it makes a difference. If we are willing to do rapid prototyping, testing, failing, and doing it again. And that's what this is all about. So now we're going to talk about some of our use cases. So remember, we're an enterprise. Uh, all of you guys who raised your hands are going to have the same challenges. Uh, so we looked at Conference Room 2.0. Uh, we're going to go into a little bit of detail with that. What does it mean? We are space-bound. We have more people. We're cramming more people into less space. Could we have, uh, use conference rooms as people space instead? Uh, situation awareness. Uh, I think the uh, great, great talks at the keynote uh, today about if you can control, if you understand everything and you know where it's affected, could you control it, and will that help us all? And then finally, IoT without the cloud. Uh, very important for us. Uh, the Internet on Europa or Mars is not very fast. Uh, internet in a mine or under ice doesn't exist. Yet we have to operate, and could we program it the same way? So diving into a little bit of details on this. Uh, Conference room of the future, conference room 2.0, we don't have enough space. Uh, configuring a conference room, if you go in to have a video conference with somebody, how long does that take? 15 minutes, maybe, and that just wastes 15 minutes, so everybody goes back to the old ways of using a phone. Uh, and then schedules are not respected, you meet wherever, you don't know where there are empty conference rooms. This is a big problem for us at JPL. So how are we going to solve this, Mitch? Uh, so one of the ways that IoT helps us um, fix this conference room of the future kind of a problem. Um, so as Tom mentioned, we, we at JPL support a number of missions, and these missions are extremely disparate in the ways that they operate. Uh, a lot of times each mission thinks they need their own hardware, they think they need their own um, uh, meeting spaces and all that kind of stuff, and we ha historically have supported that. Um, we're getting to a point now where we're taking on more and more, and we need to be able to combine some of these spaces because, you know, this operations room sits empty 60% of the time, and we need to be able to put that to use to people space. So could you take uh, something like an IoT button or some motion sensor, something like that, um, RFID, to figure out who's walking into the room, to actually pre-configure the room to the groups that are walking into it and just have the presentation up that you need to be showing, dial in the right people that you need to dial in, walk into a room, maybe say, you know, Alexa, configure the conference room for my MSL meeting, and it's just on for you, right? That's, that's the kind of simple um, best way to do it. You know, buttons, maybe one for each mission, that kind of a thing. That's what we're thinking about. Um, the device detection um, <clears throat> and, and basically using these very inexpensive IoT devices and installing them across a large number of conference rooms to really actually get good information in real time about which of your conference rooms are being used. Um, the, you know, everybody in here knows the schedule and outlook or whatever calendar system you use is not accurate always to what's happening in the room. So is something scheduled that was never used? Are two people competing for the same room that wasn't scheduled at all? Right? These are very serious problems that honestly just waste a lot of people's time and therefore money. Um, so if we have these cheaper IoT devices to more accurately monitor that situation, that gives us an edge um, in being able to optimize that space. Um, and then related to that are the real-time room suggestions. So could you ask something like Alexa, 
which conference rooms are available right now. Um, and then, you know, maybe it would look in Outlook first. Um, could you take that and then subset, okay, of those that are supposed to be available, which ones actually are, you know, have you seen motion in these rooms recently? And one of the things that we realized is uh, all those things that change quickly in consumer space, if you can take that and use it in an enterprise, you save a ton of money, you get there much faster, and you can experiment room by room by room. So here's something that we tried, uh, and it's, uh, it's using a Harmony remote, and it's using uh, some Logitech equipment. And uh, this is the beginning. This is the first prototype. Play it. And there we go. So now Alexa has turned it on, set it to our resident computer in this conference room. But if I need Alexa to do something different, for instance, go to our Apple TV, Alexa, Turn on Apple TV. Okay. And she sends the correct commands to switch this over to the Apple TV to enable us for AirPlay connectivity or if we need to present something here. In addition to being able to switch between the correct inputs, turn off the lights, we can also set this room back to as it was before when we we're all done. Alexa, turn off AV. Okay. And you'll see that she turns off the projector and turns right back on the lights with all this interaction. So is there really a difference between a connected conference, a connected living room and a connected conference room? Not really. It's in how you use it and, and what you can try. And the world is moving much, much faster in the home automation with IoT. So we're trying to take advantage of that. Uh, here's another example. Let's start off the video. I should just mute this. Um, so one of the things that we were doing um, for these conference rooms is actually installing on a Raspberry Pi with a little PIR motion sensor on it. Just slap one of those for maybe $60 all in in every conference room just to see which conference rooms are actually being used. Collect that data in a place where you can search it using some other analytics tools um, and then get a lot more value out of just your conference rooms in general. So we, we purchased some cheaper um, 360 video and, and photo kind of capturing technologies. Um, you can just tag them as to which... Uh, which room this is going to be, and then actually walk through your four floor plan if that's of interest to you. Um, this is the, the third floor where Tom has his office, and then in a moment we'll go see our CIO, Jim Rinaldi, who's not in the room, I think. Um, but that's Jim. Say hi to Jim. Hi, Jim. <clears throat> Um, so then, but of course, in addition to, to the ones that we've actually taken that 360 video of, there are different filtering tools here as well. Um, so you can filter by, for instance, which rooms have motion sensors. So then we'll load up uh, one of the third floors of our building where we house a lot of our staff. This is the conference room itself. I've installed a motion sensor in that room. Um, so if we go ahead and trigger and look here at the motion sensor data, when you hover, you're going to see in real time uh, the latest motion data from that room. And so these, you can see the gaps, obviously, in when this room has sat empty and when people are actually in it. So you would be able to see then, um, and of course you can filter on other things as well, but uh, you'd be able to see then uh, which conference rooms are in use and are not in use. And then, of course, you could tie in the Alexa skill and some of the other APIs to actually get, um, get that information out and make it actionable. And by doing able to do these things quickly, you, you get non-traditional partners. So IT is all of a sudden a very strong partner with facilities. And before that, we hated each other. Because uh, we wanted to go fast. They said, well, i got to knock down walls. And we said, well, don't you prototype it before you knock down walls. But now with this, all of a sudden, you can actually look at the data. So the other problem we have is we have lots of old buildings that have no windows. Anybody like working without a window? No. 
Is it expensive to punch holes all over the place, especially in the middle of a building? You can't do it. So could we put in a fake window? So we uh, came up with the idea, and I told uh, one of our guys, Philip, you got three days to create a fake window. Uh, here's a Raspberry Pi. Go see what you can do. So we ended up creating Raspberry Pis uh, that had actually, so they're looking at a window. We dressed them up as windows, but this was the prototype. And what we did is we put video feeds in various places. And so when you're looking, it looks like you're looking at the window. The one on the bottom is actually looking at the window in my office. The one in the right-hand corner is looking at a clean room at JPL. Uh, these are real-time video feeds. And the one on the left is a beach. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> we can. Uh, so it solved two problems. One is you get a window to the outside. You can see if it's raining. But also you get connected to the rest of JPL, so you're not feeling all locked in at a cost of a Raspberry Pi and leftover displays. So these types of things really help. And they, then what we do is we put it up, then we take it away. And if somebody doesn't scream, oh, it didn't deserve to be there. If they do, then we know, okay, this is something they care about. So um, do you want to explain how we did that? Yeah, sure. Um, so with at, at JPL, you could imagine that um, video feeds being posted all over lab, we wouldn't want those to get out, or they maybe some of them were sensitive or whatever. We just want to be very careful about some of those. Um, so we've actually positioned ourselves such that the Raspberry Pi is connected both internally to some of those resources directly, like the IP cameras directly, um, and then there's actually there's the full firewall there between there and the control plane. So where it's actually grabbing the data from, it's directly from our IP cameras that live on our network. Uh, but then the control plane, which is triggered in IoT, Lambda, and API gateway, is actually telling the Pi when to change um, inputs so that you can actually look around. So on each of these windows, there's a little button that says, I want to go to the next one, I want to go to the next one, or you can auto you know, change through the inputs that we have. Um, so with that, that's actually sending the message to AWS IoT. It's triggering something on the Pi to see that change and then go get the different video feed from inside. That way, we don't have to worry about any sort of you know, video feed from the inside ever touching the public internet, and we can isolate ourselves in that manner. So by the way, if anybody's interested later and want this code or more details, we're happy to. This is really just about prototyping and trying new use cases. So it really comes down to the use case. If we have a problem, then there are many ways of solving it and just get started. If the first solution doesn't work, the problem still remains, so we'll just keep trying new solutions. So another problem was situational awareness. Uh, can we, for instance, find out what are the most important metrics? If you can collect all of these sensor information and get it to you in a way that you can understand and then do some uh, AI on it, all you, you can get all kinds of interesting uh, situational awareness. Uh, we can be alerted effectively and we can make sense out of the data. So what are some ways of solving that? So from the, from the IoT solution uh, kind of standpoint, looking at the most important metrics and having those bubble to the top is extremely important, right? What's the most important thing in your day? Well, it's the most important thing, obviously, but you have to be able to see that. If it comes in in a flood of emails, maybe you miss it, you respond to it five minutes too late, and then that five minutes was critical, right? So you need to be able, we need to find these kind of extremely effective uh, notification methods, and a lot of those um, we found have started to be, you can tap into those with some of these IoT devices. Um, some of that relies on not only sight, as you're you know, reading your emails, et cetera, um, but all of your senses, right? Can you hear your data? 
Um, can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you touch it? Right? We're getting towards can you think about it and then see the data that you want. Um, so that's what we're looking for is trying to use all of the senses um, to create these more efficient alerts than just an email notification or even something. So, for instance, when push notifications came out on a phone, it was like the greatest thing ever because it's not an email. But now we get a 1,000 push notifications and what's the next thing? Right? Um, it might actually be a thing on the Internet of Things. Um, and then kind of as, as the, as the um, environment around you is changing to start alerting you of these different things in different ways, um, that's ideally going to be creating a more natural and not less natural interface to your data. Um, and we found that with, with some kind of prototypes that we'll show here on the next slide, um, that really is the case at JPL. So one of the things that IoT has given us is you have all types of user interfaces, and more and more are coming. There's smart glasses, there are uh, smart watches, smart rings. So do we still type and click? Probably not. So let's take a look at this was a very rapid prototype. By the way, when you look at these videos, it's somebody standing with their smartphone videoing somebody else. That's not our business, so forgive the quality. Uh, but let's take a look at this one. I think it's self-explanatory. And you might recognize the, the movie star here. Yeah, forgive the ugliness of the person. Uh, JPL uses Internet of Things and immersive analytics, this concept we've come up with, to enhance our cybersecurity awareness at JPL. For instance, we have data coming in off of our firewall in real time about where the attacks are coming from, uh, where the traffic is coming from. And using analytics, we can decide what's normal, what's abnormal. Um, for instance, we can assign uh, a note on the piano keyboard to each country that uh, traffic is coming in from with representative data and actually listen to your firewall. You can hear when it speeds up, you can hear when it slows down, you can be navigating away at other pages and still get beginning insights in real time as to the state of your firewall. Another thing that we can do is use consumer devices, uh, smart light bulbs that change colors um, programmatically or with your phone, um, so that we can actually look at, for instance, how much uh, traffic is being blocked or let in, and we can actually update the colors of the lights in the room in real time based on our firewall. If I make it uh, some representative random data, you can see, of course, um, watch, watching the colors of the room change in real time. This is also very powerful. It's four o'clock. Doing normal work or something else. And it's the colors of the lights in the room change, this is a very obvious indicator that something has occurred and I need to take action. So the, one of our biggest problems is cybersecurity. And having all of this data flow at you, it's, it's like terabytes of data all the time. We get uh, attempted hacks four million times a day. Um, so how do you deal with it? Having lights go from red, yellow, green gives you an indication something is going on. And having the firewall play, you can be doing something else. In fact, that happened when we were doing a demo. And my friend Mick here said, uh, swear word. And I go, what? And it turned out, don't you hear it? And I said, no. But that's the point. You, the firewall had stopped playing. And switched to the, uh, the, the uh, dashboard and saw that we were pegged red. And so he picked up the phone, called our cybersecurity operations center, and said, we're getting a denial of service attack from Romania. Uh, from that it happened to making that call was about five seconds. Uh, that's the, and they hadn't even seen it yet. That's the ability of being able to have all this uh, IoT devices. We also use Alexa because as soon as they have solved the problem, they can say, Alexa, uh, simulate security normal, simulate security alert, and all the lights across JPL change colors. So it, it's that type of uh, thing that, that it gives us. So speaking directly to that, the fact that I can walk into a, a, you know, a cybersecurity expert's office and say, I'm going to help 
make your life easier with IoT devices. I'm going to increase our cybersecurity with IoT devices. They're going to laugh today. But it's true that we might actually be able to do that with some of these kind of solutions. Um, so talking a little bit about the way that we handle some of this stuff at JPL as far as um, because right now IoT is not available um, on-prem. It's only in the public cloud. It's not in GovCloud where we sometimes do a lot of our operations. Um, we want to be careful about what we're actually passing through the public cloud because of you know outside regulations. We just need to be sensitive about it. So what we've set up, in addition to the JPL net, which are, is our internal secure network with all the crown jewels and all the databases and everything like that. So we have that in its self-contained, and we don't want to be attaching new anything off the shelf nest devices to our JPL uh, net network because it, we don't know exactly what it's sending out. It could start send, you know, sending different things. Maybe these devices are vulnerable. You can get in from the outside. We don't want that. So what we wound up creating and prototyping was a devices network. It's totally different, and the only thing it has on lab is access to the outside internet. So now when we come up with a new device, oh, I have this great new thing called a Raspberry Pi, or I have this great new thing called uh, an Echo, right? We can say, okay, I know the network I'm going to put this on, just JPL devices, give it its access to the public internet that it needs, and then to communicate between those IoT devices and our actual data, right? That's where the value comes in is we use um, a couple of different ways to bridge it, but basically AWS IoT works as that bridge in the public cloud. So if I have a service um, on the inside that, so say I want to write an Alexa skill that's going to query an internal database, for instance, how many um, Macs do we have at JPL registered today? Um, what Alexa would do is it would call its Lambda function. Uh, Lambda would say, okay, he's asking about how many uh, Macs do we have today. That's going to publish a message to AWS IoT on a topic that something inside our network is subscribed to. It's basically, I'm asking you know, this question. Uh, the, the internal service will see that that question has been asked. It will go and do its queries directly into the database itself, come up with an answer, republish that answer to AWS IoT, which is then fed back into Lambda and then fed all the way back out to Alexa. So that doesn't just stop with Alexa, right? That works with any of these IoT devices, and that completely gives us a nice air gap between the crown jewels of the JPL net and then the JPL devices network where we want to be able to prototype and play. One of the things about the IoT devices and the lights, it's, it gives you immediate feedback. And with immediate feedback, you get, you get the itch to do something about it. We've been trying to create the, uh, the device network for years, but our priorities always got in between. We got the smart lights, and when you could actually see it change, it was done in two days. So it's, it's, a, it's about the forcing function, the momentum of these IoT devices. Now, what about when you don't have access to the Internet? And for us, that's important. Uh, we have secure data, so we run our secure data in GovCloud. Uh, but even beyond that, sometimes we can't even do that. Uh, network costs can get expensive. The latency, of course, everybody knows. Latency to Mars is about 18 minutes. Uh, but even without that, sometimes you just can't afford the latency. And how do you make sense out of all the data if you don't have access to the cloud? Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to drive the rover. Yeah, that'll work. So the way that we've kind of gotten around some of this is with AWS Greengrass that, um, that Andy pointed to um, this morning. Uh, with the data regulation issue, right, I was talking before that most of this is going to flow through AWS IoT. If you have data that are too sensitive for you to do that, but you still want to be able to pass messages and trigger Lambda functions locally to process those data, that can be done now with AWS Greengrass completely offline. You have the same exact uh, programming model that you would use, you know, build your Lambda function on the cloud. It's just going to get deployed to all your devices, your Greengrass-aware devices. It's just done. It's that easy. You don't have to rewrite anything. Um, you can aggregate the data. You can filter the data, all of that locally. This is just a, 
what, what Michael was talking about. Um, so you don't have to pump it through the cloud if you don't want to, but of course you still have the opportunity to. Um, I mentioned the same programming model, and then it still communicates locally, right, between all of those devices. So speaking of communicating locally between all the devices, um, we're going to pull out Roe v. And go into demo time here. And so this is where you have to pretend you're at a concert and stand up or something if you can't see. Because uh, she's awfully cute. As, as he gets started on that, I just want to point out that Rovi is uh, we're making the blueprints available to anybody who wants it. It's our ambassador uh, to get kids uh, of all ages uh, interested in science and engineering and robotics. So the idea here is it's uh, Raspberry Pi's Arduinos. Uh, it has uh, open source software. And it has Lambda, it has IoT, it has Greengrass, and it has Lex on it. Uh, all of those things you can get to, and uh, uh, it drives at a blistering speed, so be careful. Yeah, I'll try not to let it run me over. All right, be nice to her. <coughs> um, so the first thing that we built in, so first off, how many of you saw this demo at the, okay, so we'll, That's all right, cute. perfect, that's good. I can sort of reuse my jokes. Um, so this one, the first thing that we can do they're with They're wonderful it, jokes. Yeah, they're so good, yeah. Um, the first, first thing we can do with this is just ask simple questions about Mars. Um, so I'll just show that first. Rovi, how big is Mars? Are we picking up the audio on the level here? It's a different way. Is that any better? So in, in the back, can we turn on the audio of Roby? It has a little microphone strapped to it. Can't leave home without it. We'll, we'll try one more just to see if it's better. Um, Roby? Roby? What's the radius of Mars? I hope you'll trust me. She's giving an answer about the radius of Mars. <laughs> uh, the rest of the demo is not super reliant on that, but the point is you can ask it questions about Mars and she'll give you back the answers. Um, in addition to just generic questions about Mars, you can also ask it what the real Curiosity rover did today on Mars, and we have up to the day in, um, responses for what it's actually doing on Mars. So yesterday, you know, we drilled for three days or for, for three hours, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, all of that information, Tom announced last night uh, that we've uh, at NASA and JPL have released the NASA Mars Alexa skill. So if you have an Echo at home, you can go um, online and jump in and enable the NASA Mars Alexa skill um, and get all of that information directly into your uh, living room, which is a lot of fun for us and for you, hopefully. And if I, one of the things we didn't talk about yet, we use Alexa uh, to get suggestions from all of JPL. So wherever there's an Alexa, you can say uh, open suggestion and give us a suggestion. This is a way of getting suggestions from the field, especially from kids. You know, why can't I go to Mars? Or, uh, so we get new questions. That all goes into DynamoDB database. Then we can mine that later for things that we didn't think about. That's exactly right. So in addition to the question asking phase, she's not just a, a question answer robot. Um, you can actually give her drive commands as well. Rovi. Rovi. Follow me. So now she's in a following mode. What's going to happen is she'll look for me, and she's going to basically drive to where I am. Now, what you'll see on the screen here is in semi-real time, um, the path that she's taking will actually be updated on the screen. 
So I'll drive her off to the right a little bit, and then to the left, back her up, drive her forwards to the left just a bit, while keeping her on the stage and everything. <laughs> so what's happening now is the, the 3D sensor here um, is actually publishing messages via AWS IoT. The wheels are picking up those messages that basically say left, right, forwards, that sort of a thing, as well as the head. So you can see that the head, you know, when I go off to the left, she turns her left turn signal on, and same thing off, or if I'm backing her up, and then off to the right, the same thing. So now if I walk over here, she will stop following at some point. But you can imagine with a traditional AWS IoT setup that if this rover were to lose connectivity to the public cloud, it would stop working. Uh, this is the rover's connectivity to the public cloud, so all the devices on there are connected to the public cloud via this router. Um, and I'm actually just going to pull. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> um, it's amazing, yeah. So it, this thing is totally dead, right? So it's not totally dead. Um, the following will still work. So she'll still, you can see the wheels, obviously, the head as well. Everything is there. Now, the, the visualization that you're seeing here is coming off of my laptop, which is subscribed directly to the public cloud. And so you're not going to actually see anything here. Nothing is going to update because it's not going to the public cloud, right? So everything is just being done here locally. Um, these wheels won't turn unless a message has been published from the, the sensor there. So I'll walk her around a little bit more. But we don't want to lose all of, all of those data that it collected uh, while it was offline. So I'll take that Ethernet cable and give her back her public Internet. Thank you. It's great. This is like a Garrison Keillor type situation. Um, so this the comedians one, of JPL. Yeah. It's a so scary thing. This will take two or three minutes or seconds, hopefully, um, to reconnect to the public internet. This will take a couple seconds to reconnect the devices to the router. But as soon as that happens, everything that collected that was recorded while it was offline uh, will update here. Rovi. Rovi. Stop following. <laughs> and as that happened, yeah, then that went up. Yeah. Label, label the camera here. <clears throat> so, but this is this is obviously bigger than Rovi, um, and it's bigger than just JPL, and potentially it's even bigger than this planet. Um, we're really excited about some of the, the new features that are coming out, um, especially talking about AWS Greengrass and how it's going to interact with um, IoT devices. Um, you know, talking about robots that are, um, you know, if we look at Europa, uh, it's got liquid water. We know it has liquid water, but it's beneath miles of ice. And so how can we create a robot that can maybe get through some of the ice and explore on the bottom that interface between the water and the ice, right? It's not going to have internet connectivity if it's exploring um, caves on Earth, right? Rescue robotics, mining robotics. This is all going to be uh, an extremely big deal for us, and we're very excited about it. So if you think about the use case, uh, so robots, miners get stuck, and we try to save them. Uh, you could send in a, ro a robot like this, like Rovi. Uh, it could get in. It's going to lose connection in the mine. Uh, it's going to back up, it's going to find some things, it's going to come back out. Now it connects to the internet, and now we can use that tremendous brain of the internet, do some uh, artificial intelligence on it, figure out a new path, and go back in, uh, or underneath the Arctic Ocean. Uh, things like that, so being offline or in a field test uh, in the desert, uh, things like that are really, really big for us. So uh, today's toy is tomorrow's tool, and we think this is definitely tomorrow's tool. Now, what does it look like? So looking at, we can, we can, you know, you all saw these here, but this is sort of the, the overall architectural diagram. When I actually say something to Rovi, 
you're going to see me in my little voice user piece. I'm communicating with the body. Um, it's posting that audio to our little, basically, Alexa voice service or Lex client, um, which is going into Amazon Lex. Amazon Lex decides what it should be doing, whether or not it's answering a Mars question or sending a drive command. If it's a Mars question, it just goes right back to the voice service client and the answer comes out. Um, if it's something like drive forwards or follow me, uh, then Lex knows to, when it calls that Lambda function, it's going to publish something directly to AWS IoT, which then the wheels and the head have watched. And they say, okay, I see this thing that says I should be driving, so I'm going to start driving now. And that's how that kind of happens. And then the following mode um, is yet another layer on top of it. Once I trigger uh, the AWS IoT topic to be in that following mode, then the 3D sensor becomes pretty much the exclusive input for what the wheels should do. So the 3D sensor publishes basically left, right, straight, you know, backup messages. Um, straight to AWS IoT um, in the in the traditional sense, but then if we bump up without the cloud, that basically I'm um, without the cloud here. One more. Maybe one more. There we go. So if you take this whole setup between the AWS IoT, AWS Lambda, and that kind of piece, the communication there, that all basically gets replaced with Greengrass when it doesn't have that internet connectivity, and it still works. Um, it incorporates AWS Lambda. It uh, duplicates the functionality of AWS IoT when it's offline, so the message passaging and the message passing and the Lambda execution still works just fine. And then it when it reconnects to the internet, the public internet, all of the device shadows and everything that you'd expect from AWS IoT gets synced back up to the cloud, and everything continues to work um, as it did before. And the, the, I can't overemphasize how important it is to use the same programming model uh, and to make it more accessible for scientists and engineers to be able to actually drive the robot using a much simpler programming model, not worrying about something different when it's offline. Uh, that's going to, the speed of innovation is so much faster. In fact, when he's talking to uh, Alexa here, he's actually talking to Lex. And uh, last week, uh, Mick said, I'm going to switch to Lex. This is last week. <laughs> We're demoing it this week. So I'm tearing my, I used to have lots of hair. I tore it all out. Uh, but boy, in two days, it was done. So the speed at which we can innovate and change is just tremendous. And the ability to have uh, Lex, for one thing, is that it's focused on the rover. It's not a full uh, Alexa. So we can have contacts. We can have a conversation. So every use case can have their own uh, conversation. So IoT and what AWS is doing is really helping us answer it, the big questions of uh, is there life on Mars? And we're sending a new rover out uh, in a couple of years. It's going to land on Mars. Uh, it won't be Rovi, but it'll be the bigger brother. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll all see it and enjoy it. So. so with that, yeah, thank you very much for your time, and we'll invite Michael thank you. back up on stage. Thank you. Questions for Open Stage. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad we didn't lose the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, but uh, it's fine. Uh, and you're definitely setting the bar high in terms of uh, internal innovation, so I guess now we, we all know what we have to do. Uh, just remember, before leaving the session, to uh, fill out the uh, evaluation. Uh, there are some follow-up uh, IoT session. Uh, there is one that will start uh, at um, the next slot, which would be a five, actually. Uh, the other ones were under embargo, so I couldn't put them on the slide. But if you go back to the lobby, there is uh, screens with the agenda, so you can see the other uh, IoT session that you can attend now for the for the last slot. So again, thank you for Any your questions. Sir? 
just right after, yeah. So thank you for your attention, and now we have a few minutes left uh, to take the, the questions, so any question that you might have.